Round 20 bringing us a new circuit, but the same storylines as Formula One's heads to Qatar. Never before has the Sail International Circuit hosted a Formula One race, and the stakes are still pretty sky high. The World Championship down to 14 points as Max Verstappen continues to hold off Lewis Hamilton with three races to go, all of them in the Middle East. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast, and we will take a look at five things to watch out for this weekend. Plus, we'll take a closer look at the circuit. We'll have top five, bottom five from Brazil. Plus, we'll look at Alfa Romeo's decision to move on from Antonio Giovinazzi for next year. But first, if you've been following our podcast this season, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us promote the podcast, or so they tell me. Also, there's a Facebook page, which I'd love to like it there, and you can participate in conversations. The Overtake F1 podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at F1 Overtake Pod. That's F1 Overtake Pod. You can hit me up personally at Tony D Radio. I was a quite a show at Interlagos last weekend. It's the second race of a current triple header. More importantly, it added more flavor to the world championship with Hamilton's victory. 14 points is what separates the two title contenders with the newest on the circuit. So who knows what's in store down the final stretch of the season. So here's five things to watch out for for this weekend at the Qatar Grand Prix. One, look for this battle to continue and also possibly the war of words. Okay, so we're going to be looking forward to the champions fight. That's a given. I mean, three races remaining, 14 points. That's kind of a given in any things to watch out for list. However, what happened in Brazil on lap 48 just right now doesn't seem to be going away. Mercedes has asked for a right to review concerning the issue of Verstappen's driving tactics on that lap that forced Lewis Hamilton off the track. Total Wolf said he has had enough and right or wrong, he's decided to continue that challenge. In fact, the incident deserved to be investigated according to him. And he says the decision not to was laughable. Now, the onboard video of Max Verstappen's Red Bull is now available, and it shows Verstappen a bit late in the breaking into the corner, carrying his speed wide, and thus Hamilton was on the outside, went off the track, as did Verstappen. And there is a let them race principle that is a judgment call. However, the rule is not a judgment call. That prevents drivers from forcing others off the racetrack. That, that again, that's not a judgment call. Did Verstappen make an effort to take that corner, or did he run wide to force the issue with Hamilton? That's what Mercedes wants to know. Now, why would they do this? Well, if Verstappen is handed a five-second penalty, that would, when you readjust for that penalty, put him behind Valtteri Bottas, who finished three seconds behind Verstappen in P3. Then the championship, heading into Qatar, that goes from 14 to 11. Now, again, we've seen so many different battles between these two this season. This is just one chapter of many. You go back to Imola to start the season. Of course, the incident at Cops, and of course, Imola where the two really tangled up, but and remember even the over remember even in Bahrain when Verstappen, you know, went off the track to gain position, had to give it back and then just could not get onto the back end of Hamilton towards the end of that race. These two have been dealing with this on and off for 19 previous races. It really doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, but this is just another spice to this where Mercedes is saying, Hey, continue to look at what happened on lap 48 at Brazil. We may have won the race, but we can still get a little bit more out of that weekend. If you really take a look at what Verstappen did, I, I said at the time, I think this was a racing incident. I think it's good, hard racing between the two. I do understand Mercedes point. I don't think Verstappen made really an effort to take that corner, but, 
but at the same time, I'm, I'm just not that kind of guy that is that stickler. I, I want to see a little bit more, let him race. I think it was good, hard racing between the two. I know many of you disagree, but that's just where I sit uh, on that coin. All right, number two, and that is Ferrari's current dominance of Mercedes in this fight for the P3. We've been talking about this all year, but man, oh man, you cannot ignore what the Scuderia has been doing over the last couple of races. The fight between these two teams really was in the first half about Lando Norris, right? He was getting in the constantly helping McLaren separate themselves a bit from Ferrari. Ferrari would have their moments, but there was this consistency that Lando was bringing in the first half of the season where it was more of a larger story than it was ever about this current battle between these two teams. Well, that has certainly cooled off lately. And Ferrari, since taking that new engine in Russia, they have been on fire, right? I mean, they finished best of the rest in Brazil. The Scuderia seemed have the upper hand and and recent string of ho-hum results from McLaren has given Ferrari the lead in this battle. And let's see if it will continue for the final three races of the season. Right now, Ferrari has really been putting on a show, but McLaren does have the ability to bounce back. They just haven't had a good last couple of races. Number three on our things to watch out for for the Qatar Grand Prix is the circuit. It's brand new. Will this track benefit Red Bull? Will it benefit Mercedes? Well, there are plenty of thoughts on going to Qatar, who's going to benefit. But in reality, we really don't have any data yet to support anybody's claim. Right now, we just sort of have theories and simulations and whatnot. We are also aren't sure how it is going to race. Will there be plenty of overtaking? It doesn't look like there will be. I mean, just looking at the track, it doesn't look like there'll be plenty of chances to overtake. Which corners are going to be critical in terms of lap times? This is exciting stuff in a way that it's a brand new circuit, but it also comes with an idea of what kind of circuit it's going to be. Like with COVID-19, 19 affecting the sport last year formula one returned to tracks like Imola, Portimao, Istanbul park. Those circuits returned this season, right? But this is more like Magello where like you, this is a brand new circuit. And while there might be some familiarity based on what you see in MotoGP or whatever, nobody has raced a formula one car on this track, let alone in a race weekend. So it's a night race as well. So you've got practice during the day and then the nighttime that changes the data. So again, a new circuit, new information, new processing, new strategies, all in play this weekend at the LaSalle International Circuit. Number four, and this sort of dovetails into this, and that's going to be tire strategy. This is a new circuit that brings new questions about the tires. Simulations and all the science will say one thing, but practice Friday may reveal another. Pirelli has done its homework, though, at LaSalle. They have determined to use the hardest compound tires for the Grand Prix. The track is abrasive. The sand from the desert could really affect the tires during the race. Uh, they do have some like artificial grass to try to catch it, but we know in Bahrain that it is a problem as well. Plus, since it's a night race, track temperatures go dramatically down, and that is different from what you get in testing and practice and, and even in qualifying for that regard. There are no other races scheduled outside of the Formula One weekend, so there's no rubber on the circuit from other cars going on the track. Tire degradation could be really high. That puts more emphasis on the data that teams are going to gather and the strategy for the race, which we right now, we're not really sure what it's going to look like. And then finally, how about AlphaTauri versus Alpine in the P5 battle for the constructors' standings? I mean, look, we talk about the P3 battle, and of course, you know, Red Bull and Mercedes at the top, but this one is actually really close. The two teams are tied at 112 points apiece, and after both teams pulled in six points at Brazil, I mean, this is the closest constructors' battle we got. AlphaTauri has had a good run recently with points in the last four races. There was a poor showing in Austin where Gasly had to park the car, but nevertheless, it's a great midfield battle, and of course, 
course, you've got Pierre Gasly, Yuki Sonoda, Fernando Alonso is a former champion. You've got Esteban Ocon, who's a race winner this season. So again, those four drivers coming in, making this a really interesting conversation as we head down the stretch. All right, let's get to track talk. And this is where we're going to get into the circuit and get into you familiar as best we can with that is yet to host a Formula One race. LaSalle International Circuit located outside the capital city of Doha. It opened in 2004, running 5.38 kilometers, just north of 3.3 miles. It is hosted MotoGP and the Superbike World Championships, also, also GP2 Asia, but it's the first time Formula One will be running on this track, which consists of 16 corners. There are 10 right-handers and there are six left-handers. The main straight is over a kilometer long. It's got a hairpin at turn number one. The front stretch is the only TRS zone. There's a series of slow corners from turn four through turn nine. You kind of got to be careful on how much heat you're going to be getting into those tires. And then the corners lead to more high speed ones. Overall, though, this track is being compared to the Hungara ring in Hungary or Barcelona in terms of overall corner speed. Now, turn 12 through 14, that's kind of a triple apex corner that'll provide about five and two G's to the driver. This is very similar to turn eight in Hungary, except it's going in the opposite direction. Practice will be critical because all the teams are saying that work in the simulator for this circuit can only tell you so much. The asphalt, the downforce needed for the high speed corners, there's bumps on the circuit that you got to navigate. All will be gathered in practice sessions on Friday. There does seem to be a feeling that overtaking will be very difficult. Just reviewing the track myself. I mean, I'm just kind of going with my own eyes. I, I think it, I don't know where outside of the DRS zone, maybe turn one that might, you know, with, there's a hairpin there that might provide an opportunity from, for some, some passing. Um, you got some high speed corners, maybe turn nine that's possible, but it doesn't seem to be a consistent analysis from anybody. Uh, even people more in, in intelligent than I am in terms of tracks where overtaking could take place and how much overtaking could be. So really, this is a really wide open question, but I don't think there will be. I mean, it's just me. I mean, I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. Qualifying though is going to be really critical, at least in my eyes, because if you're not going to be able to overtake where you start on the grid on Sunday is going to really, really matter. Pirelli bringing their hardest compound tires to Qatar. C1 for the hard, C2 for the mediums, and C3 for the softs. The Grand Prix will run 57 laps. And while I do have a sense of unknown here, I, I actually, going to be honest with you, I'm kind of excited for it. I don't get to see brand new circuits very often that are hosting Formula One races. This could be a mess. This could be a complete disaster, but also could be really exciting. So we'll see. And we're going to see it when they go to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. That's going to be a brand new circuit. If indeed that does get up and running, it looks like construction has been slowed down a bit. So we shall see if that gets underway. I think it will, but you know, there's a big buzz that it may not. All right, this is where we do top five, bottom five, and we do it from Brazil. We take a look back at that race and give you our guys who did not do particularly well and those who did particularly well. Now, full disclosure, I have a sports radio show here in the United States um, for a network, a morning show, and we do this every Tuesday for NFL teams. And look, it is easy in the NFL to sort of go to the bottom five and pick on the teams that stink, but one of the elements that we like to do in that segment, and boy, let me just say this, all sports talk show hosts in America do this at some point during the football season. So by clearly not an original thought, but I always kind of look at teams that are disappointing. I don't necessarily go to the bad, bad teams, even though it's kind of the thought process. Like if you're an NFL team that stinks, 
but you should have been good. You might likely get in there. And I tried to do the same thing here. It's easy to sort of pick on Haas drivers, for example, but I try to give you drivers that could have done well, that didn't do well when I give you my bottom five. And Daniel Ricardo leads us off in the bottom five because it was a DNF for Ricardo after a running in the top 10 for most of the day. Now, he didn't like his sprint race result and was trying to make up for it, by, and he was doing fine. However, the problem in his power unit ended his day. Now, it's not necessarily his fault, well, actually, it's not his fault, but it's been a tough two races for Ricardo. Remember, got tangled up in that opening lap with Valtteri Botas in Mexico City, and he was fighting from the back of the field there. This is a DNF in Brazil. And even though it's not your fault, power issues are power issues. You're in the bottom five. How about Yuki Sonoda? He is number four on the list. 15th place finish for the AlphaTauri driver. What a really frustrating day. Now, he started the race in Brazil on the soft tires, which was pretty bold, but he got into Lance Stroll, and that really ruined his race with significant damage. Stroll actually said he felt like Sonoda was overconfident on those soft tires in terms of his ability to get speed, but in the end, he runs into Stroll and damages his car. Now, that's pretty much it in terms of being able to run near the points. Number three on the list, and that's Antonio Giovinazzi. Kind of a double whammy for Antonio. First, he finished with P14 with nothing really to showcase. And then second, later on in the week, he lost his ride for next season and leaving Alfa Romeo. I will can't tell you why, but I feel like I'm going to miss Antonio Giovinazzi. We've got more on that coming up later in this podcast. Number two, and I kind of toyed with this a little bit, Lando Norris. Now, I'm not going to be too hard on Norris. But I thought his opening lap move on Carlos Sainz was really aggressive, which was isn't always a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you got to be aggressive. He had a good jump on the opening um, start of the race. You know, he tried to take advantage of it, but he ended up with a puncture. He had to pit early. He did his work to move back to P10 and a finish with a point for the McLaren team. But I got to think this is really disappointing. He started P6 after the sprint race. And of course, he got that really good start uh, in the Grand Prix to try to move up. So a P10 with just a point, if he had just been a little bit more cautious into turn number one. It might've been a really good day for him and McLaren, but he did it. Now I said what I said at the top of the hour, about not picking on Haas drivers because I could put Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher in the bottom five every single week. I could put Nicholas Latifi in there every single week, but I don't unless they deserve it. And I think this is okay to put Mick Schumacher as the number one uh, bottom five. He had a tangle with Kimi Raikkonen. He finished P18 in, in the race. He finished behind his teammate, Nikita Mazepin, Again, I don't like putting Haas drivers in the bottom five because it's just an easy target, but I had to do it based on the tangle that he had with Kimi Raikkonen, and I, I just felt like that is worthy enough to put it in there. I mean, look, no one was expecting big things from anybody from Haas, but he did tangle with Kimi, um, and therefore he deserves to be in the bottom five. All right, now it's time for the top five, the best of the best from Brazil. And number five on the list, Pierre Gasly. It's a P7. It's a good points haul after Yuki Tsunoda finished outside of the points. Gasly had a retirement in Austin, if you remember, at the U.S. Grand Prix. But outside of that, he has been fantastic. He had that great run in Turkey. Remember, Mercedes was paying attention to him and his pace when they pitted Hamilton to try to get a better finish. You had Mexico City. It was a P4, another points run at Brazil. He's really helping out Atari in their battle with Alpine and the constructor standings for that P5 spot. They're both currently tied at the moment. Pierre Gasly is the main reason why. Number four, and that's Charles Leclerc. 
As I mentioned earlier, Ferrari is flying these days. They really are. The results are fantastic. Leclerc finished seventh in the sprint race, but made good on his pace. He finished the best of the rest with a P5 behind only the two Red Bull drivers and the two Mercedes drivers. His consistency, along with Carlos Sainz, has helped them take over P3 in the Constructors race with McLaren, and that's been a big deal all season long. Charles Leclerc is number four on my top five. Number three, this is where I put Max Verstappen. We went from, is Interlagos a Red Bull track? To the team saying, well, it's good that we minimize the damage as we leave Sao Paulo. I mean, that's how different the weekend went for Max Verstappen and Red Bull. He was able to get a really great start and take the lead of the race right away. But in the end, he couldn't hold off Hamilton. And if we're going to judge him the same way we judged Hamilton in Mexico, just minimizing the damage, then he does get a top five placement for his P2 run. Many of you will disagree and say that was a lost opportunity for Verstappen, that even though Hamilton was on a rocket ship, somehow, some way, he should have been able to hold him off. I disagree. I think Hamilton's car was too strong. It was clearly obvious that Max was going to be a sitting duck eventually with the way Hamilton was just pecking at him from behind. I just don't think Verstappen could have held him off any longer. A P2 run. You want to put him outside the top five for what happened on lap 48? That That's fine. You could do that. I will not. Max Verstappen is three. Number two, this is where I put Valtteri Bottas. Now, it wasn't a good start off the line for Valtteri, but he did take pole position in the sprint race and he held off Verstappen to do it. So he prevents Verstappen from getting an extra point. Verstappen gets two for a P2 finish rather than three for finishing in pole position. He didn't do anything that hurt his team at all. Finished P3, kept Perez back, prevented Red Bull from grabbing that second podium. But more importantly, he finished three seconds behind Max Verstappen. Now, this is critical because as you heard earlier in this podcast, Mercedes doing that right to review on that lap 48 incident. And indeed, the FIA come back and say, yeah, Max Verstappen deserves a five second penalty for that incident with Lewis Hamilton, forcing Hamilton off the track. Valtteri's performance at the Brazil Grand Prix, getting that close to Verstappen seconds gives him P2 if that ruling does come down. That means Verstappen's lead goes from 14 to 11. Now, nothing may come it. Maybe it do, something does come out of it. But Valtteri, that kind of strong finish, giving Mercedes the 1-3 the finish in that Grand Prix, double podium, and the fact that he was within that five-second window, he deserves number two on my list. Number one, it is obvious it was Lewis Hamilton. I cannot stress this enough. I think it was his finest weekend. All of the races that he has had, what he had to overcome, I put this on the top of the list. Uh, I know this has been debated pretty much since Sunday, but this is where I this is where I land. You're talking about two sets of penalties here, right? The disqualification from the qualifying penalty that put him on the back of the grid for the sprint race. That's 20 places right from pole position to P20. And then he took a five second grid penalty for the engine upgrade. That's 25 grid places over two events. And he finishes first after 24 overtakes over those two events. Now, was he in the best car? Sure. But the way he was able to pass in areas of the track where overtaking was still difficult showed, showed his extraordinary skill. We always knew that he had that extraordinary skill. It shouldn't be all that amazing, but it still was amazing. What a result in an amazing performance from the seven-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton, number one, obviously, with what he had to go through at Brazil. 
All right, one of the news and notes from the grid, Alfa Romeo deciding to part ways with Antonio Giovinazzi, agreeing to a deal with Chinese driver Guanyu Zhou, who will take over the seat and will be Valtteri Bottas' teammate next season. Zhou's a reserve driver for Alpine, brings the youth angle to the team next year. He also brings a large fan base from China. Many will become instant fans of Formula One if they're not already before. He will become the first Chinese driver in the sport, and that is pretty historic. Now, as for Giovinazzi, his best finish was a P5 in the 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix. He ran 60 starts in Formula One. Next season, he'll go to Formula E. Now, Zoe's taking over the seat has been rumored for a few months now, so it really wasn't a huge surprise, but many thought Giovinazzi could keep the seat with some good finishes, but it, it started to become clear Alfa Romeo wanted to go in another direction with youth and, of course, some finances. They did not hide that whatsoever. Now, the team had stalled talks when Michael Andretti was interested in buying the team, and if he had done so, Colton Herta, the IndyCar star, would be in that seat. That would have given Formula One a young American driver, but albeit not the first American driver to be in Formula One. So when talks failed to produce a sale, the teams continued negotiations with Joe. Now, don't forget, there's also a huge financial implication for all of this, too. More Chinese sponsors, more Chinese interest means more money for the team in the sport. This has always been the issue in Formula One. But while you can argue other drivers may have deserved a sh shot at that seat, Joe doesn't come without success at the lower level. He's also got tremendous respect for his work ethic and his skill. I personally will miss Joe Venazzi in, in Formula One. I don't know why I liked him. I don't know why I gravitated towards him, but I did. But again, I just saw this coming and I, I'm really not surprised by that. And I don't think very many people were. All right. The Qatar Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Again, new circuits. So a lot of new elements. I have no no idea if this race is going to be boring, exciting, what the championship may look like, who's favored to win this thing. There's so many wide open questions and maybe just maybe that's actually a pretty good thing for the sport. So we'll have a review of that coming up early next week. And there'll probably be a lot to unpack as we are just three races away from the, you know, from the end of the season and the decision on where the world championship is going to lie. All right. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. If you like what we do also like our Facebook, page the overtake f1 podcast and you can follow us on twitter at f1 overtake pod thank you to all of you who download this show and i really do appreciate it I always have fun doing this it's again as an american sports talk show host i do not get to talk formula one so this is sort of my avenue to do it amongst an ocean of people who do it so i'm glad you take the time to listen to this podcast again look for us next week for a review of the qatar grand prix i'm tony desiri this is the overtake f1 podcast